Welcome to the Manuscript Academy podcast, brought to you by a writer and an agent who both believe that education is key. The beauty is the people you meet along the way, and that community makes all the difference. Here at the Manuscript Academy, you can learn the skills, make the connections, and have access to experts all from home. I'm Julie Kingsley. And I'm Jessica Sinsheimer. Put down your pens, pause your word counts, and enjoy. We are thrilled to have a very special panel tonight and so grateful that our panelists are here. So you guys, this feels like the most special thing we've ever done. I'm so excited. Yeah, we don't always talk about this sort of thing. You know, we try to keep the focus on education and we know this business is too difficult to predict who will get an agent. But this group, they did it. They achieved their goals. We are so pleased for them. Our first panelist is Tabitha Bird, and Tabitha lives with her family in Chihuahua in Buna, Australia. Her debut fiction, A Lifetime of Impossible Days, Penguin 2019, was the 2020 winner of the Queensland Literary Award, People's Choice Book of the Year. Her second book is The Emporium of Imagination, Penguin, March 30th, 2021. Welcome, Yay. Tabitha. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. I'm excited to be here all the way from Australia. <laughs> so exciting. And I would say that Tabitha is one of our earliest members. So we have always appreciate you, Tabitha. It's such a thrill to have you here. Thank you, Julie. Thrilled to be here. So our next panelist is Elizabeth Holden. She writes lighthearted young adult fiction. Her queer roller derby novel, Mighty Millie Novak, is currently out on submission to a publisher. And she's currently writing a story filled with girls in STEM, Vintage Clothes, Time Travel, and Love Triangles. She is represented by Emily Forney of Booking Literary Agency. She teaches physics at the University of Wisconsin Platteville, and along with her husband is the co-founder of a tour company, Leaping Hound Travel. Come travel with her when the pandemic is over, guys. Wait till it's over. <laughs> Please wait. <laughs> An avid roller derby player, she skated with Madison Roller Derby since 2015 and leads physics of roller derby workshops for schools and other community groups. Her hair is bright blue, her laugh is loud, and her heart belongs to her pet, Greyhound. Yay, Elizabeth. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, the aforementioned Greyhounds might appear. We'll see. Sometimes they don't like when I do things that exclude them. So we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. And I like your note to wait until after COVID to travel, but that sounds like so much fun. Yeah. Yeah. January 2022 Come to Italy. It's going to oh. be amazing. Pasta oh and science. Nice. Julie, let's take a field trip. So fun. You guys, you have Molly McCaffrey. And uh, Molly has been in one of our other podcasts, which is Finding Her Agent with John Kuzik. So you check that out. We'll put that in the show notes. Molly McCaffrey is a former New Jersey native turned Kentucky colonel and the author of two small Press books for adults. Now she writes young adult stories about strong young women who believe in the power of resistance. While Molly isn't reading or writing, she's on the move, biking, swimming, hiking, and kayaking. She loves to compete in local triathlons. And once again, she's re represented by John Kuzik of Folio Literary. Yay. Hi, everybody. Good to see you. Thanks for having me, Julie and Jessica. So glad to be here. Of course, I haven't been in any triathlons since last year because of the pandemic, but soon, right? Soon? What is it like to run a triathlon? <laughs> it's hard. Um, have you done one, Julie? I have, yeah. Oh, wow. We have to discuss another time. I know, um, yeah. It's exhilarating and exhausting. And you really believe, especially when you start the last part, the run, you think, I am never doing this again for the rest of my life. And then as soon as you cross the finish line, you're like, when's the next one? Really? Is it the yeah. endorphins? Yeah. The <laughs> endorphins are amazing. Oh my goodness. Well, that's very exciting. Last but not least, we have Megan Hill. Megan Davis Hill has been a professional editor and writer of commercial nonfiction and fiction for many years at MeganDavisHill.com. That's Megan with an H. She has edited the memoirs of an author who appeared on the Oprah Winfrey Show, a Pulitzer Prize winner, and a celebrity chef. She's also edited for children's book authors, an award-winning film producer, and several novelists. Under her own name, Megan writes middle grade and young adult fiction. She is represented by agents Karen Brailsford at Avedis Creative Management, and her debut middle grade adventure is going out on submission this week. Congratulations, Megan. Yay. Megan lives outside of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania with her husband and four children. When she's not writing and editing, she's usually in the woods, hiking and camping with her family every chance she gets. Yay. Welcome, Megan. Yeah, I'm just, I'm very grateful to be here. I found that uh, for me, 
the Manuscript Academy community has just been incredibly helpful in my personal writing journey. The I, I really believe in continuing education as a writer and as an editor. You know, lawyers do it, doctors do it, writers should be doing it too. And I feel like I, I love the continuous learning and, you know, when applied to your work, that's when the magic happens, right? And that's when you transfer and break through. Thank you, Megan. I'm so happy for all of you being here and succeeding so well. So yeah, we've got some questions. So I'm going to start with the first question and maybe we'll start with Tabitha. Tabitha, what do you write and what was your strategy with the submission process and what do you think worked best? Yeah, thank you. Um, So I write magical realism, so literary fiction, but with magical realism. And basically magical realism is just a book that is set here in the real world, but there's this otherworldly twist to it. So unlike fantasy where we cross into another portal or another dimension or another universe, uh, magical realism stays put in the real world with just this magical thing that couldn't happen. So that's what I write. What was my my thoughts with the querying process? Well, I'm here in Australia. So in Australia, we have about 10 to 11 literary agents, period. That is it. And at any one time, maybe two or three of them are actually actively looking for new clients. So I realised fairly early on that if I wanted to really get my book out there and get a literary agent, I needed to expand my world from Australia to include agents from all over the place. And that's where the Manuscript Academy came in for me. And I started to really learn um, how many agents you guys in the US have and how fabulous (laughs) that is. So my process was learn, learn, learn about writing the best query letter possible. And then to keep sending that baby out there until until and until (laughs) and getting some feedback along the way as I sent out to agents. So that was my process in a nutshell. Great. Awesome. Thank you. Elizabeth, would you let you go next? Yeah. So I write young adult contemporary. I also wrote middle grade. My process was um, really long. (laughs) I I queried a novel back in 2006 and didn't get anywhere with that. And then uh, I wrote a middle grade novel and queried that a bunch and didn't get anywhere with that. And then uh, during the pandemic, I, I'm, I'm obsessed with roller derby. It's like eaten my whole life. And so I knew I wanted to write a young adult novel about roller derby. And I just kind of got the idea in like May and I'm a professor. So when the semester ended, I just like wrote, 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 wrote. And then I started submitting to agents in late August. I was done with it by then. And then, um, I ended up getting Emily Forney, my agent, uh, through the Twitter contest PitMad in September. So I wrote a pitch for that and I got a few agent likes. And then she ended up reading my full manuscript like within three days of PitMad happening. Wow. And then we were on a call the following Tuesday. Awesome. That's I amazing. I forget what else you asked me. So I don't know if that covered it. Um, I just want to jump in and mention (laughs) it's not normal to hear back that fast. It's wonderful that you heard back that fast, but don't worry if you don't. (laughs) It was, yeah, super weird. And also, if you're interested in how many rejections I had before that for all the other things I queried and everything, it was, I mean, over 150, you know, like lots. And it was all very slow. This was kind of wildly quick. And she was also a newer agent. So she had, she was looking for more clients actively. So I think that helped with the speed. Right time, right place. So fun. Such a great story too, how like you can wait and wait and wait. And then it's going to be Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So Molly, tell us about your process and how you came to sign with John Cusick. Okay, great. Well, I write young adult contemporary stories about young women who believe in the power of resistance. I always have that element of them resisting in some way. And what happened, I'm a lot like Elizabeth. I started querying, I think maybe in 2004, my first uh, young adult novel. And then the one that I was querying last spring was called Chaperone. And I think I only sent out queries for a month and I had a lot of requests. And, you know, I've kind of mastered the query process, so I always get a lot of requests. But then um, I got the offer from John very quick. What happened with John was I did a session at Manuscript Academy 
And um, I think I did five sessions at Manuscript Academy and then sent out another 40 queries through Query Tracker. And then I probably half of those requested it. And so John called, I don't know, four or five weeks later and said he wanted to offer me representation. So, you know, it's a lot like Elizabeth where what took forever, I wrote four YA novels and I started all the way back, you know, around 2004. Maybe, maybe it was 2001. Ugh, I think it was 19 years. Anyway, I'm almost ashamed to admit it, but that's how it happened. Don't be ashamed. I mean, it can't all be, what was it, five days, Elizabeth? <laughs> um, yeah. Five days, but also sort of 14 years, you know, so. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. Like, this is always such a twisting, turning adventure, right? Like, like people say, oh, you're an overnight success. Sure, you're overnight success after this amount of work, after four novels, after, you know, all this work. Molly, you just said something. I know people are going to want to know the answer. When you said that you felt like you mastered the query letter, what did that yeah. mean? I really studied it, especially, now remind me if I get the order wrong, since I haven't written a query in a year now, the hook, the book, and the cook, right? (laughs) And I just started to learn what it is that they want. I figured out things about comps that you just don't want to say X cross with Y. You want to say X would sit on the shelf next to my book, and that Y has themes that are similar. I'm trying to use the same kind of voice as Y. So I figured that out. Also, I've been writing a long time, so I have a lot of publications and journals, so my bio was good, you know. I mean, when you're trying to write for 19 years, you you build up some credentials. So I did get a lot of requests, but the first three manuscripts, you know, nobody was ever interested in signing me. It was always the same thing. It was always, the voice doesn't quite get me. Yeah, so, I've heard that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right, right. We could talk about that all night long. So Megan, tell us about your process and, and what happened and and all the good stuff. It's maybe some of the bad stuff too. So, you know, I've been editing for years. I was incredibly lucky to, ha- to start off with a really great writing group when I lived in Connecticut. And the, the writers, you know, one of them, Susan Hood, went on to become a Golden Kite winner. Uh, the other one, Susan Montanari, has, I think, six or seven books out now. But that writing group, I think for me, was the beginning of me writing on my own and also really seeing and believing that this is real and that this can happen. Uh, and, and I so appreciate that. And I really, really encourage people to, to really reach out and form their own groups. Beyond that, I was always working as an editor. I had a great mentor and friend, and I, I edit predominantly memoir And through that process, I was constantly reading books on writing just to hone my craft and get better and better and better. It took me a long time to really get up the courage to submit my own work, which I was always writing on the side, nights, weekends, 4.30 in the morning, whenever I could fit it in. And when I finally did, I had a first round that was, you know, absolutely crushing because I'd waited so long to submit my own stuff under my own name. And I really felt like it was ready and, you know, I I got it out there. And similarly, you know, I I had very different feedback from different agents. You know, it's funny that you said one was too fast and the other said it was too slow. I had something very, very similar for a middle grade novel that I had submitted. So I, but what I did was I took a step back and I thought, okay, well, you know, let me look at the pacing though. And maybe is there, there's there an issue with the pacing? Is there something I can learn here? And that was always the question I was asking myself is, do I agree? Where can this be improved? Can it be improved? And then I just kept on, you know, get up, dust myself off and write another book, edit more. And I just kept on trying and going through the steps until finally this book is a rewrite of a book that I had actually started writing about five years ago had a handful of rejections. I set it aside. And then this year I brought it back out and I rewrote it line by line. And I was five years a better writer is Mm -hmm. what it comes down to. And this is the one that hit. Well, I'm so happy it worked out. I know it's so interesting because like everyone's journey is so similar here, right? And it all, like the common denominator with all of you guys is tons of work and work and work and determination and gumption and an actual just like sheer perseverance because it sounds like all of you guys had dark days and all of you guys just kept 
going. And that's, that's exactly why it's important to hear from you, right? <laughs> that, that, you know, like if you keep believing and you keep going forward, you will hit your goals. So thank you for that. I mean, it's just amazing. So are any of you willing to share any more of your rejection stories or things going wrong? Tabitha? So mine was maybe just a tiny little bit different. I had written a book uh, that had taken me about 10 years to write um, for various reasons. And one of them was because I actually needed to do a great deal of healing in order to write the book that I was writing. So I'd actually been in counselling for all of those years and the book, although it is not a memoir and is not in any way uh, non-fiction, did come out of a lot of my emotional truth out of the journey that I was going on. And so when I got to the end, I had this book that I really believed in. And, and more than that, I just... I just knew that if an agent rejected me on this book, it just wasn't, we were never going to be a right fit because I knew that at some point I was going to want to come back to that book and get that book out there. So if they didn't like that book, then there was no, I felt there was no point in even writing that second book and trying to query that second book because I was so stuck on really wanting this first book to be out there in the world. Um, I don't know if that's right or wrong. (laughs) It turned out for me, the book is published um, and did well, but I actually put out, 85 query letters, which actually isn't a lot, a lot more writers, a lot of writers put out a lot more than 85, but 85 was the magic number for me. The 86th agent was the one that actually offered. But what I found with rejection letters is that I was getting these gorgeous rejection letters. I mean, they could not have been more beautiful without being a, yes, I want to represent you. And I would just pull my hair out because it was like, Tabitha, we love the voice. We love the characters. Your writing is unbelievable. I don't know what it is. There's just something and I can't put my finger on it, but I'm going to have to decline to represent you. And I would just be like, oh, (laughs) how much closer can you possibly get? And I collected some 30-odd rejections that were very similar like that on full manuscripts. And, you know, those agents were right. There was something that was slightly off and it actually took my now agent and my now publisher, I'm with Penguin Australia, to put their finger on what that was. It was a really complex book. There's three main characters that are actually the same character. Willa Waters is 33 and she meets herself at age eight and age 103. So it's actually a really difficult book to structure and I needed a ton of help. So sometimes you just um, have to push through even when you're getting these awesome rejection letters you just you just need to keep going and just I think that's when you know maybe that you're close because everything else is right and there's just this one little thing so yeah keep going people right and when we do our revision stuff we're going to try to like figure out what might not be working I know so so many members here but that's kind of what the theme is right like how do you like eke that out you know I don't know but um so interesting so you guys and we, maybe we can start with Megan this time. What do you know now that you wish you knew then? This has sort of become a little bit of a, a mantra for me, but I say real writers slash words like ninjas and need prose like dough. And what I mean by that is just that you've got to love the editing process to succeed in this business. You know, I, I spend so much time listening, reading, listening to the podcasts and reading more and and learning more, but I was missing the critical step of then taking what I learned that exact night from that exact podcast and then going to the manuscript and, and applying that knowledge immediately. And for me, that crucial step, I think if I had done that five years earlier, I would have succeeded five years sooner. You know, I think a lot of us might, you know, you you read a book and you think, oh, that's really smart. And then you set it aside. So I started just making a little list of, okay, you know, remember, I'm going to, I just learned this. I'm going to go through the manuscript and I'm going to highlight just the prose, not the dialogue. And I'm going to look at every single line and try to figure out, is this line critical or not? And that is my task for today. That is the only task. And then move on to the next thing. And then it was after applying those things that was when I had this huge leap ahead in my writing. That's what I wish I knew five years ago. (laughs) But that's the sort of thing that you have to learn it in a different way than just hearing it and being like, oh, yes, good idea. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Exactly. Elizabeth, how about you? 
Yeah. So a bunch of stuff. <laughs> I, I will say like credit to you two, you three manuscript Academy is so awesome and such a good resource. And I learned so much about querying from listening to your podcasts and the webinars and everything. I was doing a really intensely boring physics freelance freelance project this summer. And I listened to manuscript Academy constantly their podcast while I was working. And I think I just like soaked in so much and it was so good. One of the things that I wish I had known was to query in batches because I am a really impatient person. Um, I saw somebody ask in the chat, like, how did you know your work was like, okay, it's done. It's ready to submit. And I don't know. Uh, what with the internet, I am the sort of person that I'm like, the end. Okay. It's probably ready. Right. Like, and you know, I have to force myself to just like, maybe don't send it tonight. And so I think I acted kind of fast on submitting. I was just like, it exists. I'll check for typos. Now we're good to go. And I probably could have taken my time a little bit more there and query in smaller batches because I sent out, uh, so I started, all right. So I wrote this middle grade novel in 2018 and queried it. And I got a lot of, as somebody else said, really good rejections. And, you know, people requested partials, requested fulls, but then we're like, eh, you know, um, but it was personalized, which is good. You know, if an agent takes the time to give personalized rejection, I'm thrilled. So I decided to totally rewrite that story and I finished it early this year and started querying it again in March. And that was when I sent out, I don't know, 25, 30 queries. Um, and then after that had a meeting with, I don't remember who now, but an agent from Manuscript Academy and had a really good talk about the first chapter and decided to totally change that first chapter and had already sent it out to 25 agents. I was really excited about in the old version. So I wish I hadn't acted that quickly. And I wish I'd done smaller groups so that then once I was getting, you know, responses, even if I hadn't had that meeting with the agent from Manuscript Academy, still, if I'd started to get rejections and I'd only put it out to like five or 10, I could change things and then send it out again. But I tend to just be like, let's fill in that spreadsheet, submit, submit. I've got all these agents and I've been waiting to send to them. And, uh, I wish I'd gone a little slower and I wish I had done it in smaller batches. And then finally, I think that I was like, all right, so I wrote my first novel in 2006 and it existed. And so I'm very proud of it because it exists and it was completed. I don't think it's that good, but it, it, I was proud of it for existing. And then when I wrote the middle grade mystery, I really thought like, this is really good. And I still have a deep affection for the characters. And I think I just got so fixated on, this is so good. I just need to figure out how to make this novel appealing to agents. And so I would change things. And I, you know, like I said, I completely rewrote it. And I was really stuck on this middle grade mystery. And then once I let go of, it has to be this book and started writing a new one, I was still kind of wrapping up some queries on the on the middle grade, but once I started writing Mighty Millie Novak, my young adult queer roller derby novel, I was like, oh no, I can write more books and they will probably be better. And uh, <laughs> I wish I hadn't been so stuck on, oh, it has to be this one. I think I probably could have pivoted sooner or at least like started writing something else sooner instead of being so fixated. Because it was really, I think I, like I said, like, I was barely into the querying process with, with Millie, with the YA one, um, before I got the agent. It was like two weeks, so. Molly, you said you had a great story about rejection. Oh, yeah. So it kind of answers the question what I wish I had known before and a good rejection, great rejection story, whatever. The one thing I didn't understand was that um, you shouldn't be interested in agents who you just have a bad feeling about. Like you feel like they're not your people right from the get-go, but you think, well, they're interested in me. I lost six months of my writing career by working exclusively with an agent I had a bad feeling about the first time I talked to him. He, I had a two-point-of-view love story, why I love story, and he said, I just really want five points of view, like The Breakfast Club, the first time we talked, and I thought, no, it's a love story. And then for six months, we worked together, and he made me pull the manuscript from all the other agents who had it, um, I think there were 12 of them. And um, then six months later, he said, yeah, I just still really want those five characters. And the whole time I felt like I don't 
gel with this guy. I don't like him. I don't trust him. So I wish I had listened to my gut. And now I realize you shouldn't just want to sign with any agent. You should want to sign with an agent you feel like you are compatible with. Yeah. Tabitha, do oh, you yeah. have advice? I wish that I had have known the difference between dreams and goals. Dreams are those beautiful things that we have. Uh, I want to get an agent. I want to be published with such and such publisher, um, whatever. And it's great to have them, but you're not in control of that. You're not in control of when you get an agent or even if you get an agent. And you're not in control of what, you know, whether or not you're ever going to get published with that dream publishing house. But what you are in control of and, and how I eventually found my own power and and just that didn't give up is that goals are something you can control. So if you make a goal of, okay, my dream is I want to get an agent, but my goal is going to be I'm going to send out 10 query letters this month and then I'm going to wait for feedback and then I'm going to, you know, whatever, or I'm going to go and do another you know, piece of learning on how to write query letters, or I'm going to rework my first 10 pages or whatever. They're goals and you're 100% in control of them. And then you can feel successful. And if at the end of the year, if you've sent out 10 query letters every month, you are successful. I don't know whether or not that will land you an agent or not, but you're still a successful writer. If you've written that next book, then you're successful because that's a goal. Finishing a book and writing it the best you can, that's a goal and you're in control of that. And I think during the querying process, there's a lot of, a bit of a feeling of, oh my goodness, I'm just, it's I'm, it's so out of my control. And to have that, I guess, redirection for me as to, I, I, it wasn't out of control. Like the dream was, but the goals were not. And that helped me stay focused and helped me keep, keep querying. What, would your advice be to writers who are trying to make it through their novels but are losing steam halfway through? You know, I heard a long time ago that Jerry Seinfeld works the same way and it stuck in my head that he said, every day I show up. And he said, if I just write one sentence, I at least get to put a check on the calendar that I showed up today. And you start to build momentum when you start to see paragraphs turning into, you know, pages, turning into chapters. And, you know, I use note cards actually, and I put them up on a bulletin board of ideas and I build on these note cards of ideas. But even if it's a line, guys, I, I really believe in the power of momentum. And I also think that having a, a couple of, you know, cool things that motivate you around your office is also a great thing to do. So uh, the one that I have is it says, um, Art is important. We creatives capture the intangible parts of life and share it with the world so that we might feel connected in some way. Creatives are needed. We are important. For me, I need to see that some days because there are a million other things on my plate. I'm a mom of four. I'm running a business full time. A lot of times the hours that I have to write are 4.30 in the morning or late at night. It is what it is. I hope that those hours will change, you know, in time as I'm able to produce more and my books get out there. And I think that it will. I believe in that. But I think that the work that we're doing matters. And I think that if we all remember that and believe in it, it gets easier and easier every day to say that sitting down to write that one sentence, that one paragraph, it matters and it's important and it's great that you did it. Yay. If I had, if I had a, like a lighter, I'd be like, (laughs) (laughs) yes, yes. It's amazing. Elizabeth, what do you have to add? Just a slightly, not contradict because I mean, it obviously works for you, but I don't write every day because I think when I try to write every day, if I fail to, then I feel like I have failed. And, uh, And so I have to be a little bit more flexible with myself and I know that I need that momentum. And when I'm writing, I'm usually, I mean, I'm thinking about my novel like all the time Um, and it's just kind of brewing in my head and stuff is happening. And so I know I can tell if I go like a week without writing, I have that sort of stiff, cold feeling. Like if you work out without properly warming up, you know, where you're like, oh, 
I'm kind of out of sorts. So I need to do it more often than that. But some days I can sit down and depending on what my day looks like and depending how I feel and everything, I'll write 3,500 words. And then other days, and all right. And like today, I, I have this, as I mentioned, a variety of boring freelance projects. And so today I didn't hate doing them. And I was like, well, I want to write, but if I don't hate doing my freelance project, I should probably do that. And I feel okay about that. So, I mean, if it works for you to write every day, and I think it works for a lot of people, that's awesome, but also don't, that's not the only way. So don't worry if you find that's just not feasible for you based on your schedule or your personality. I'm, it doesn't quite work for me almost, but not quite. I follow V.E. Schwab, like she's amazing. I love her so much, but she doesn't calculate her time being spent on writing as just actual, the physical act of writing. She calculates it. She takes in consideration time spent thinking about it as actually writing time, because you are actually working on your book. Even if you're doing the dishes or vacuuming or whatever you're doing, you're still writing on your book. So she still calculates that actually physically tracks that as book writing time because it's still in her mind work. So I feel like that's another way um, writers can do it so that they don't feel as much pressure just because they don't have time or they're just, they're just blocked and they just can't do it right then. So don't feel so defeated when they don't actually put pen to paper. I'd love to jump in on that. I think that's really important. And one thing I was thinking when Elizabeth was speaking is just that be kind to yourself, you know, um, remember that being creative is not a, a, B, C, D equals, you know, whatever. It's not like that. Um, and what's going to work for you may not work for someone else or vice versa. And I think, um, the biggest thing that I've learned in my writing is to really honor my own inner knowing. So for me, I was like, as I was learning to write, there was a lot of talk about, plotting you know that plotting was the way to go and you needed to have all these cards and you needed to and that's what real writers did and I felt like such a failure because the minute I sat down to plot every single character in my head threw their hands in the air and went well we're not showing up today have at it but we're out of here I was just devastated because I was like what sort of a writer am I like no wonder I don't have an agent and know what you know and it just I finally realized that I actually write by completely pantsering my little butt off like I and I still do it to this day and I have one book published and one book that's coming out soon so I can tell you it does work it makes for very messy uh drafts but for me it keeps it fun and it means that I can be kind to me and just completely enjoy the act of writing and let's face it folks there are plenty of other ways to torment yourself if you want to like why make writing a torment you know why why do that to yourself keep it fun and be kind to you because out of the wellspring of your heart comes your words so don't get in your heart and start beating that little place up you know you want to keep that full of love I think I love how you talk about being good to yourself also, because of course that's part of the creative process, but a lot of people feel like they just have to kind of like have the same exact output every day. And that's just never going to happen. You're a creative person. Each day is going to be different. Mm, I agree. I love the idea of being still, I included that article in the comments by um, Silas House about thinking about your characters and your story all day long. I will add as a person who loves outlines that, Here's a secret. I feel like scared to tell everyone because everyone will become more successful than I am, right? I think that it's great if you outline a lot to do a chapter outline where you write the last line of every chapter and it's a cliffhanger. My husband is a suspense writer and I stole that idea from him and he's a successful suspense writer. So I just think if you can work in a cliffhanger at the end of every chapter, a moment that makes people want to read the next chapter, it's a great thing to do. After listening to all of you and, you know, it's teaching writing forever, it's like, it doesn't matter what your process is, as long as you're kind of mentally checking in and showing up. And, and I loved, um, Elizabeth, when you talked about how, if you don't do that, it's like trying to work out cold. It's try, like trying to run a 5k without working out. Right. Like if you just check in, there's something magical that happens to your brain and your brain will do the work subconsciously. So it's ready for the next scene when you hit it. And that's kind of the coolest kind of magic of writing. And you guys all kind of talked about that in different ways. Super interesting. First, thank you to the Manuscript Academy. You guys are amazing. And um, I, I just can't 
thank you all enough for everything you do. The question for the panel, what's the most important advice you would offer concerning drafting an effective query letter? I think that the most important thing is to be, to talk about the thing that is most exciting and most dramatic. Like I feel I learned something from Shonda Rhimes every day of my life, you know, and the drama in Bridgerton as an example is so amazing. And I think that you want that drama in your query letter. You don't want, and also this is a common mistake where people describe what they think the book is trying to do and don't ever do that. Just tell us what the book is about, the most dramatic parts of the book. And when you're sharing a query letter, letter also share that first page because there's often a disconnect between the query letter and the first page. And that just, it sets you up for failure there. So make sure they kind of flow together. Yeah, we're here to help you. I know we're mentioning a lot of things that sound difficult and complicated. So if you have questions, like just send us an email and we'll do our best to help. I know all of this is a lot. Don't panic. Don't feel like you have to take 10 pages of notes. If you're like, help, how do I do this thing? We will do our best to help you. Right. And we have a Facebook page, 10 10 Minutes with an Expert. And that's a great place because everyone will answer your question there. So if, if you don't hear from us quickly enough, that's a super spot. Yeah, we're basically here to be everything you can't Google. So, you know, keep that in mind, please. <laughs> Tabitha, did you have something else about yeah, I was just going to jump in on, you just mentioned the 10 minutes with the agent. I think one of the most effective things I did with uh, learning how to draft that query letter was actually do that 10 minutes. I, I did a 10 minute session with an agent where I could actually get feedback on that query letter from an agent because sometimes, you know, those rejection letters, they just, they, they're not going to put in everything they're actually thinking. Um, and when I actually spoke with an Asian and she just pointed out a few little things, I was like, oh, that's what they mean by, you know, whatever, or that's what that feedback that I've been getting is about. Um, just that, that face-to-face actual interaction with an agent just proved to be um, really dynamic for me and was very important in me actually securing an agent and a publishing contract. And I did that through the Manuscript Academy. So I really highly recommend that. Julie, I, I'm tempted to go to the, because we know they succeeded. I'm tempted yes. to know if all of them had a moment where they thought about giving up. Because mm. what's more hopeful than that, right? We know the ending of the story. Was there a middle of the story where you're like, this is terrible. I'm going to go to Kinko's. I'm going to spiral blind my book. That's well, the it's end so of it. funny. My first person I looked at was Elizabeth, but I was like, as a roller derby girl, I can't see you having that moment, Elizabeth. Did, did it come for you? I mean, not exactly, no, honestly. I mean, if you ask my husband, <laughs> there were definitely times where I would be crying and I would be like, I'm just giving up. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> but like, screw this, you know? And, okay. and uh, <laughs> you know, I, uh, I, but I don't think I actually meant it. I think I was just really upset and and wanted to to feel sorry for myself. I've been writing stories since before I could write. You know, I would dictate them to my mother when I was four. So how could I give that up? I, I think it's such a fundamentally a part of myself, even if it kind of goes dormant for a while while I get busy with, I don't know, graduate school or whatever. But I I, I never thought about totally giving up because... I I don't know. I think I was getting decent enough rejections that I felt sort of encouraged. And I felt like eventually something will happen. There's so many agents and I just have to find the right one. And I don't know. Not that I was like, especially, I don't know. I I guess I'm kind of an optimist. And I'm also kind of like, I mean, again, I queried about 20-ish people for the first book. I, somebody else said they queried 85 people for one of their books. And I was, that's the same number for me for the first time round with the middle grade and the second time round. And if you add up that plus the few queries I sent out for the one that got me Emily, it adds up to like 235 queries or something that I sent out. I like filling out spreadsheets. I like organizing stuff. And I just felt like on good days, I could get a rejection and be like, all right, I'll mark it off. It hurt a little. I'll come back when the pain is gone. Um, but like, I don't know. No, I never thought about giving up I, in, a, in a serious way. In a, in a feel sorry for me, I'm going to cry to my loved ones sort of way, sure, but it would pass. So, Anyone else? Anyone else have a, a time where they were just like, mm-mm. 
Yeah, I, I did actually. There, there came a time where I was getting pretty close to that 85 number and I remember thinking, you know, I'm just this little chick in Australia who even cares kind of thing. You know, the woe is me, go and eat worms sort of scenario. And um, I told my uh, best friend uh, who is also a, a writer and I said, that's it, you know, I'm going to quit. I, I'm over this. And she said to me, she said to me something really powerful that I've never forgotten. She said to me, okay, then do it. I was like, what do you mean? Okay, then do it. This is when you jump in and you tell me how great I am and that I should never quit and blah, 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 blah. She's like, no, do it. She said, if you can quit writing, if you can actually quit writing and that's not going to impact your world, you should do it. And I thought to myself, could I actually quit writing? Like, could I ever do that? And I really realized right there and then, no, I, I actually couldn't. That writing was a part of me and I needed it. Um, and I wanted to do it. And so I, I, I said to myself, all right, Tab, back, back on the horse. We're not quitting. But her calling me out on that and just going, okay, then, yeah, go ahead, quit, really made me think, I, I, actually, I don't want to. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> Writing is something that's really important to me. So that really helped me to not quit. But, yes, there was a moment where I was over it. I, I'll jump in and say, I love that Tabitha said that, because this is what I always say. If you can stop writing and, and go on living, then you should quit because it's one of the hardest businesses you'll ever be in. But if you feel like you can't, then you're meant to write and you should keep doing it. I mean, I think you have to decide that you're doing it for yourself. For me, I did have that moment um, with the manuscript <laughs> I that landed me, my agent, John, I thought, if this doesn't get an agent, it's too good. There's something wrong with me. I'm going to have to try to write something different. I wasn't thinking about writing, but I thought about giving up writing novels. And then, of course, you know, that's the time you get your agent when you're just like, I'm done. I've had it, you know. Hmm. I also think that maybe, you know, uh, piggybacking off Molly really quickly, the fact that she thought that it's probably something that unlocked in her brain where you're like, okay, well, if this isn't it, whatever, it allows you to take the pressure off a little bit mentally. So that's probably the second where her brain was like, okay, we got this. Whatever happens, happens. And it allows her to do it, you know, in a, in a more carefree manner. So that when she got her agent, it was just done. <laughs> she, just, she could just celebrate at that point. I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's such a high pressure thing, right? But we still want you to be a person. And it's so hard to be a person when you're under pressure. What if what you're writing is, you know, is very unpopular or popular with very, very few people. And I, I can't give that part up of that material because it's important to me, but it may not be important to any or very few people. So what do you do? Or I guess another way to phrase it is, should you always write to a trend? I'll jump in there and say, no, please, please don't write to trends. By the time, um, you know, you think you've found something popular, that, that thing is, is gone. You know, uh, publishing is a long, long haul journey. And those books that you're seeing right now that are on trend, they were agented possibly years ago and the publishing contracts on them were probably a, a year to two years ago as well. So, yeah, I, I think what I would say um, to that question is if you have something and it's in your heart and you don't think it's all that popular, but it's important to you, then I think you've answered your own question right there. You keep going. Um, you learn everything you can to make it the very best book it possibly can be. Uh, you learn your craft and you be persistent and you you keep going. And, um, you know, maybe it's not that book, maybe it's going to be the next book, but if that book is important to you and it's special, don't give up just because you think it that maybe isn't important to so many people. You don't know. I do want to mention, though, that everyone we've interacted with at the Manuscript Academy is really trying and really in that very small top percentage of people who are likely to make it work. At least that's my impression. You're doing your research. You're trying. You're smart. You're nice. You're doing all of the steps. Compare that to the queries that I get every day that are just like, hi, I have written a book. Here's my phone number. Thanks. I get so many of those. I mean, I know it's so easy to like look at your chances as well and more likely to get hit by lightning. Okay. But again, you have to factor in the people who are like, I have this book. It will be a bestseller. Thanks. There's so many of those and you're all trying so hard and the emails you write to me are so thoughtful and so eloquent. And like, I, I'm sure Valentina and Julie can can back this up. Every time we hear from you, it's lovely. 
We're also mm-hmm. in, even even from our our faculty, like we we hear that consistently that your work is really really good, and so so yeah, it is a mix of like finding and writing people, education, tweaking, changing, pushing forward, and I think you know like you're talking about like doing something totally your own, the Queen's Gambit right now. 30 years in the making, 30 years. And now it's kind of one of the best things on Netflix. So I think that we all just need to tell the story we need to tell and that the market might shift to, and like right now the market's so weird, but we have no idea. We literally have no idea what our next, you know, stretch of time looks like. It's so uncertain. Any story could squeak in there, you know, so interesting. My question is this, not just uh, did you get multiple offers, but um, coming from the point of view that the author is the boss and you are indeed hiring an agent to, you know, to represent you and to be your, you know, your advocate in the world. So yes, you're pitching them, but my guess is that you guys had your, you know, pick of the litter. So one, did you, was that your situation? And two, what did you ask them? And even if you were only offered, you know, one or two, were, were you, did you walk away from anybody when that was your only offer at that time? Thank you. I do want to amend that it's normal to get just one offer or two offers or, or three, you know, I mean, I, I think most authors get one or two. Yeah, one um, or two, but when you, when you, you know, query 500 people mm-hmm. or 85 people and you get 20 fulls, you know, chances are as people are feeling you out, you know, like Molly, was it Molly who said that she wished that she had not listened to an agent for six months and six other, she had to pull back from six other agents, you know, had she not done that, perhaps those agents would have been, she would have been interviewing them. Like, are you right for me? So if you're going to pay somebody 15% of your salary, chances are you want to choose. Yeah. I'll jump in and say, I did really regret that. And it was very frustrating. And I have another friend who had to do the same thing and she signed with the agent. And then a year later, they dumped her. So she, I will say that when you're in that position and you have all these agents requesting you're full and interested, you can't go back to them a year later. So you have to be sure you're making the right decision. But I'll also say this. When John called me, I did what I studied and learned how to do on the internet, which was to say, okay, can I let everyone else who has the full manuscript have two weeks? And he said, of course. He sounded a little disappointed, but he said, of course. And then I could not sleep that night. And I realized there was no way in hell I was going with another agent. And I didn't want to make other agents read my whole manuscript in two weeks when I knew I was going with John. There's something to be said for that moment, the first person who calls you and says, let's do this, and who has a clear vision of what you want to do. So I think it's a little bit of a fantasy to imagine that you can pick and choose. I mean, if you really have more than one agent you can't decide between, great. I was not in that position. Yeah. I guess my question about that, John is so like his digital presence is really big. So, you know, you can get a sense of what he's like from listening to his pot. He's out there, but there are many, many agents who don't, who, who aren't, you know, digital personalities and who are, you know, quieter and behind the scenes. So I guess that's where you you're so right. And I would say if you're in the position where you, you should get to know the person really well before you make a decision, and that's a great time to email Julie and Jessica and get their advice yeah. too. Um, no, it just sort of reminds me, um, somebody said something about not marrying the first person you date, but it's <laughs> sort of, I mean, it has that feel to it in that you can't know everything about a person, but also you can listen to your gut and you can spend a lot of time on that first call. Emily and I talked for two hours, I think. Um, and she never made me feel rushed and she answered all my questions. And just from the get go, I felt like she understood me and her vision for my book made sense to me. And it was so smart. And I felt like I just had a very good gut reaction and I was still very, very thorough and asked her all the questions I had prepared and got answers and still felt good. And so 
in my case, I didn't have two offers I was comparing. Um, I did give Emily two weeks, uh, but I got off that phone call and was like, I would, I would sign with her. I'm going to do the two weeks, but I, I, I love her. But even if you have two or three offers or something, I think you can't ever a hundred percent know in anything in life, you know, what decision to take. But if you're both sort of listening to your gut and being thorough, you can feel pretty good about it. Yeah, I, I really agree with Elizabeth. And um, I was just going to jump in there and say too, you know, know what know what you want in an agent before you get on that call. Like really sit down with yourself and ask yourself, you know, how, how do I want to work with my agent? Do I want an agent that's really hands-on? Do I like it? Would I like an editorial agent? Do I want an agent that I can get in contact with quite easily? Um, do I want an, an agent at a really big agency who's got lots and lots of other really big name authors? Am I okay being a small fish in that pond? Um, or would I rather, you know, get more personal attention? You really just have to know what it is that you want. I had a big list of things that were important to me and the way in which I worked. And same with you, Elizabeth. I just wasn't rushed on my my call. I spent a long time asking all those questions and then re-asking some for clarification and then I actually had two calls. So I thought about other questions in the meantime and asked if I could have another call. And, you know, the right match for you, they're not they're not going to make you feel rushed. They're not going to make you feel unimportant. And they're going to have the time to sit and, uh, and listen to your questions because they also want a good match. They want an author that they can work with really well. And the two of you are going to do hopefully great things together. So, yeah, just just take your time there and and give yourself a bit of space. I did the whole two week thing really just so I could think, so that I wasn't making those decisions, you know, on that call. Even though you know I was pretty sure that I was going to say yes to this agent. I would tag along just one thing to what Tabitha was saying about deciding what you want. For me having an editorial agent, someone who is very, very hands-on and would dive deep into my manuscript and really, you know, tell me the truth about this is working, this isn't working, or the sentence is unclear, you know, things like that. That was so important to me as an editor myself. So I, I knew that was top on my list. And also, just so you all know, you can reach out to the writers that agents represent and ask them, you know, what it's like to work with them. You can do that online. Most authors have web pages. You can find out on Publishers Marketplace who represents your favorite authors or who these, you know, you can also find their list of writers on their own agent web pages. And you can reach out to them. And I, I feel like that's really helpful. You can ask them things like, how easy is it to get in touch with this agent? If you email them, how long does it take to get a response? Do you, how often do you talk on the phone with them? If you have questions, you know, are, are they willing to talk through a plot line with you? Or no, do they just want to see your finished product? There's, there's a lot of things that you could ask that are very specific to you and what you are looking for. Uh, and I think it's very important to do your homework and do your research. And um, there's a lot online about that. But, but really do think about how you work and what you want in a business partner, because I, I feel like that's what they really are. And the second part is when you do get that call to really listen to, you know, their level of kind of enthusiasm and love for your manuscript. So, you know, every great salesperson will tell you the salesman is not selling the product. They're selling their love for the product. So you want to make sure that, you know, your business representative, your agent is all in and loves your manuscript like you do because they're representing you out in the business world. And, and that was absolutely how I felt, you know, when, when um, Karen Brailsford is my agent and she called and she really understood what, you know, my greatest hopes for what I wanted readers to get out of the book and, you know, we just talked about the book itself and our hopes for it for probably 40 minutes. It was wonderful. And, and I, I really felt that we were really kindred spirits. And her editorial know-how is just so advanced and she is so smart. And her, the way that she looks at a book and every line to me, just the, the dialogue that we had back and forth about the writing itself was to me exactly what I was looking for in terms of that deep dive. Also, I knew that 
you know, she clearly knows the market and has the context because I did my homework in that regard as well. And to me, another thing was it was really important that just kindness <laughs> was incredibly important. And she seemed like someone that I would want to interact with a lot and that I could see working with long-term. And I also knew that she would be available. She responded to emails very quickly and had. we were able to schedule phone calls also very quickly. I didn't want to be in a position where I had a question about my writing that I felt was pressing and then I had a week, a week to get an answer. I really wanted someone that would be able to respond in a day or two of, you know, I, I thought would be pretty reasonable. She responds faster. I've always received responses from her within a day. So it's 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 really been magical. <laughs> but think about those things before you query. Um, Molly, you said something really interesting in the chat. Do you want to elaborate on that here? Oh, sure. What did I say? Um, you were talking about pros and cons and oh, agents are oh. people. I was just saying, you know, partially because my husband is a writer, so we both have different agents. We've learned that they all have pros and cons and you have to decide what you need. You know, I wanted and my, my husband has this too. I wanted an agent who would get back to me within 24 hours. And that was something John said he always did. Um, because of that experience I had with the other agent where he would take four weeks to get back to me just to, to an email. And, and, you know, sometimes people get really intense and maybe that's not you. Maybe you need someone who's always a cheerleader, you know. Um, John's a great cheerleader, so I really like that about him. But I do think you have to figure out what's important to you and who that will help you determine who you want to work with. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, the other thing I'll add is that agents are human too. They're not perfect. And so you have to accept that they're not going to do everything perfectly and you have to be okay with the ways that they're not perfect. Are any of you willing to tell us what your rejection, rejections look like and what your query responses look like um, before you got an agent so we can kind of reverse engineer how that looks when we know it's going to a successful place? Um, Elizabeth, you look enthusiastic. So I'm asking mm -hmm. you to, yes. Oh yeah, I've got so much data. Um, I did one of your workshops and I made the little pie chart and it was so fascinating. Um, <laughs> let me find it and then I can like share the pie chart. It. I love that I you love have the a chart. pie chart. I'm I'm I mean physics, like we love graphs, right? <laughs> um, so the pie chart, honestly, I didn't get to do much um, with Mighty Millie Novak, my my YA, because it happened really fast. So like. I think I queried five people before Emily made her offer. And so I had, or six people. And so I had one form rejection and five requests for more. So that was awesome. But it then on my, in case you're comparing, yeah, that was never happened. Super weird. <laughs> and then I'm, I'm looking at my, I'm bringing it up right now. I could, I'd be happy to just share with you. I mean, heck. So I've got no response, request for pages, form rejection. No, but I'd like to see future manuscripts, which by the way, Emily fell into that category. I queried oh, her for nice. this one and she had a really nice rejection of me and said, oh, I'd love to see more of yours in the future and then liked it, but so I could go and if they said, I like this concept, but not the voice or whatever, mm -hmm. you know? So yeah, so this is how it broke down for me. And this is totally inspired by one of your workshops. So uh, to me, this is a very healthy ratio because we've got a lot of requests a lot of liked it butts. I mean, a lot of liked it butts, a lot of see future manuscripts and a 40% form rejection rate is actually very low. So, um, yeah, and, and a no it. response of 3.7% is very low. So, and this was, again, this was after revamping it, after having somebody at Manuscript Academy look at my query in first pages. This was after completely rewriting it. Um, but yeah, I felt really good about it. But it still wasn't the one that got me an agent. So, okay. So, know. if maybe you, I would have gotten one eventually, but maybe not. I don't know. If you're following yeah. along at home and your pie chart starts to look like this, this is a very positive indicator. Don't expect that everyone's going to give you this many positive responses. This is a, you know, excellent chart, Elizabeth. I'm, I'm very pleased. Yeah. And my previous charts would not have looked this good. This is post revamp. So, yeah. <laughs> Um, but even so, you got a 40.7% of form. So, yeah. you know, yeah, everyone's absolutely. going to get form responses. Yeah. And I also, I query so many people that I get, uh, oh, there's Emily's name. Hey, look at that. Emily Forney, see future <laughs> manuscripts. Yeah. And, and now we know that that actually um, means something. Yes. <laughs> yes. 
I queried enough people that I got good data, right? As a scientist, right? If you only query three people, you're not getting very good data. Um, if you're like, I queried three people and they all rejected me with forms, that's 100%. Well, that doesn't really mean anything, so. Well, thank you anyway, so much for sharing that. That's, that's really amazing. <laughs> I do want to say that both me and Molly, as, as I can see in the chat, are both like about to break out in hives over this level of organization. we <laughs> 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 really over here I mean, sweating. Visualizing data, it's the best, right? Yeah. <laughs> I think Definitely what it does. I'm going to cross my fingers and hope for the best. Yeah. <laughs> and so, I mean, so the whole, the whole idea of, of really looking at this whole process as in goals and steps and what you can do and how you can, you know, just kind of wrap your logical brain around something that is so emotional is really important. And we're looking at only a couple more minutes left. I know you guys have been talking for an hour and a half now. So thank, thank you, you for that. Does anyone else have any final comments about their submission strategies or anything else that you haven't shared tonight? Um, I'll jump in. I Just a, a few comments back, and I can't remember who brought this up. I actually think it might have been uh, Jessica who said this. I often felt when I was querying that I was just up against the thousands and thousands of people. And I remember saying this to my writer friend one day and just saying, how in the world, you know, do you ever stand out when, you know, we know that some of the top agents are literally receiving hundreds and hundreds of query letters per day. And she really helped me to refocus by saying, you aren't actually up against the thousands. If an agent, let's say an agent receives, you know, let's say a hundred a day, of that hundred, how many of them have done their research and actually addressed it for the for the start, addressed it to the right person by the right name? You're going to find that just immediately wipes off a percentage of those query letters. Secondly, if they are the right name, have they done the research? Does that agent even represent their genre? You're going to find that there's a lot of queries that that just, that just wipes them off of the list. So you're not competing against them. If they have done, you know, it's addressed by the right name and it's the right genre, do they then have a decent query letter? You know, have they actually done their work? Have they researched how to write a query letter? And once again, that's going to take a great percentage of writers out of that pie as well. Then if even there are, so they let's just assume they have done all those three things and you are up against still some writers there, then what about their pages? You know, are their pages up to standard? Are their pages ready yet for that next step? So that helped me realise that, in fact, out of those 100 or whatever, there's actually a really small percentage of writers at any one time that you're actually up against with any agent because there's just not, <laughs> there's not, we like to think that everyone's doing the right thing. But in fact, lots of people, especially when they first start out or they don't know enough, are not following all the rules or haven't addressed it correctly or don't know enough yet to have got that query letter right or whatever. So keep going because you really aren't up against the thousands. If you are one of those people who have done your research, you have the name, the agent's name spelt right, <laughs> addressed to them correctly, and you've followed all the ways in which they want to receive that query and you've attached the correct number of pages in the way in which that agent wants those pages attached, you are actually in the minority. <laughs> <laughs> you are going to already stand out from the crowd. So I just wanted to say that. Don't give up hope. I'll add really quick something. Um, I was in preparation for this. I was looking at my old queries from 2006. Um, some of them were on paper, and, but the ones that were via email. And so this, probably most of you wouldn't do this, but I was kind of embarrassed that I had done this. I was kind of like, lying to myself to say, no, no, I can query this manuscript to this agent. They're looking for a mystery. And this is kind of mysterious, you know, in some ways, you know, and then I'm calling it a mystery in the query letter, you know, or I'm like, well, the main character's 23, but is that sort of young adult? I mean, she's like just left college, you know, and stuff like that. So don't, be so desperate to get an agent and you're like, oh, this agent sounds really cool. And they're looking for this. It's kind of that, like they're, you know, that's not going to be good. So um, that was something I thought of way earlier that I just wanted to add. It's not like my main takeaway, but there's so many agents. And if you look on Twitter at um, MSWL, like I would look at hashtag MSWL 
WL, hashtag roller derby, hashtag queer sports, you know, and I found people and like, you can do these searches and find people and like, and if, if it's not the topic, maybe it's the, the mood or the style or whatever, you don't have to query agents that you feel like you have to trick both you and yourself into being the right fit for them. Don't do that. Like I did. And I want to emphasize that that even if someone who got an agent did that, imagine all the people who will not get an agent doing that too. (laughs) I was, I was young and stupid. But it worked out. It's okay. Yeah. (laughs) I started querying on paper too. And I mean, I don't miss all that mailing, but I will say it was better because there were so many fewer people doing it that you almost always got a response. So I kind of miss that. But I will jump in and say that one of the best things about getting a good rejection is that you have just started a relationship with that agent. And when they get your next manuscript, they're probably going to remember you. I met John's wife in 2016 at an SCBWI conference. We totally hit it off. And my manuscript was already with someone else at her agency, so I couldn't query her. But then I queried John for my previous manuscript, and he rejected me, and he was very polite. But I think that someone told me that once. When you get rejected in a good way, you start a relationship with an agent who might be your agent someday. So thank you guys so much. Once again, we're so proud of all of you. Keep us posted on your ongoing success. And, you know, we just want to be long haulers here at the Manuscript Academy. I know that you're going to go off and do great things. And it's just been our great pleasure. So thank you. And again, please feel hopeful just from the fact that you're here. You know, you've done your research. You're trying. Um, I think, Tabitha, you were the one talking about, like, how many people aren't sending to the right genre, the right agent, the spelled right. The fact that you're here, you're really trying. You really have good odds. We appreciate you. We're here to help you if you get a lot of offers. Yeah, anything that we can do to help. If you need anything, we're here to help. Absolutely, guys. If you need anything, please send an email. Uh, Either give me, Jessica, or Julie. Um, But we just want to say thank you so much. We're so happy for you all. We are so glad that you joined us. And as always, we appreciate your feedback. Just head on over to the iTunes store and let us know what you think. And not only helps us make this podcast be the best it can be, but it also affects our ratings within the iTunes platform. We'd love to hear from you. If you're feeling brave and want to submit your page for our first pages podcast, you can send it to academy at manuscriptwishlist.com with first pages podcast in the subject line. We'd also just love to hear from you. And if you'd like to learn more about the Manuscript Academy and everything we have to offer, just jump on over to manuscriptacademy.com.